0: So, uh, so tell me this, is it good or bad to be mad? Is it good or bad to be mad? You know, I wonder which of those coaches looking back on the, those experiences thought, you know, I really got him when I kicked second base. You know, I really, that really showed him. you know, it, it looks really bad there to be mad. Right. And it is bad. Anger is bad. Right. That's, that's what the Bible says. Uh, human anger does not produce the righteousness of that God desires, James one twenty. You know, I can't remember my anger producing much of anything good, right? Nevertheless, God's righteousness, I've never even seen our anger in the course of my watching baseball for 26 years probably is when I started watching baseball. I've never seen an umpire change their call because the coach was so mad, right? I've never even seen our anger do that, right? So that may be why Paul says in Ephesians 4, get rid of all bitterness, rage, and anger brawling and slander along with every form of malice. He says, get rid of it all. Not some of it, not most of it, all of it. Anger's bad, right? Case closed. Except that God gets angry. About 170 times in the Old Testament, we read about the wrath of God, the anger of God. The word that we translate for anger in Hebrew, the word actually means to snort, Right? The idea is that your nose isn't for smelling, it's for getting mad. And for most of us, that's true. When we get mad, the first thing that happens is our nostrils start flaring. Right? I can remember my older sister, when she would beat me up growing up, she would run at me and her nose would just be going crazy. Right? I don't want the thing you remember to be about this sermon to be my sister beat me up. But if you meet my beautiful sister, watch out for her nostrils. Watch out for her nostrils. Yeah, it, anger is, is bad, right? Except that, that God gets angry. And not only that, Jesus gets angry. So when I say that, what scene comes to mind for you? Yeah, the cleansing of the temple. That scene's in all four gospels. What's probably going on there is that we've got these people who have set up a market inside the temple to God, They've set up this market. They're selling probably sacrifices and other things like that. And they're taking advantage of people who've come a really long way to be close to God in the temple by charging them really high rates to get what they need to do that. It's probably what's happening there. And Jesus sees that and he gets upset. At least it seems that way. He comes in and he starts turning over the tables in this market. He starts driving everybody out with a whip. And this seems really important for some of us because this is not the, the meek and mild Jesus that we often see, you know, in flannel graphs and stuff like that. This is a Jesus who gets worked up. Who cares? Garrett Kaiser said, I am unable to commit to any Messiah who doesn't knock over some tables, right? We want a God who cares, We want a Christ who does get worked up from time to time and who does something about it. The only thing is that in none of those four accounts, and this story shows up in all four gospels, in none of them does it say that Jesus was angry. Not once. We only read about Jesus being angry one time. Maybe one and a half, but I'll share that one another time. Only one time for sure, and it's in Mark 3. So let's look at it together. It's at the beginning of Mark 3. Another time, Jesus went into the synagogue, and a man with a shriveled hand was there. man with a shriveled hand was there. And some of them were looking for a reason to accuse Jesus, so they watched him closely to see if he would heal him on the Sabbath. Jesus said to the man with the shriveled hand, stand up in front of everyone. And Jesus asked them, which is lawful on the Sabbath, to do good or to do evil, to save a life or to kill, but they remained silent. And he looked around at them in anger and deeply distressed at their stubborn hearts. He said to the man, stretch out your hand. And he stretched it out and his hand was completely restored. And the Pharisees went out and they began to plot with the Herodians how they might kill Jesus. What's going on here? You've got these religious people, the Pharisees, who know their Hebrew Bible really well, and they know, according to Exodus 31, that if somebody breaks the Sabbath like Jesus is about to do, then they can kill him. They're already offended by Jesus. They're envious of Jesus. They are probably angry at Jesus. We can imagine their nostrils just going crazy in this scene, right? They are are probably angry at Jesus, although we don't read that. And they are looking for a way to get rid of him. And so by the end of this story, because he does break the Sabbath in their eyes, they have every reason to kill him. That's what they're doing. Uh, my boys love bulldozers. Any, anybody else with small kids, they probably love bulldozers like mine. I want you to think for a minute about the difference between a, a bulldozer and like a garden hoe, okay? If you were gonna, if you were gonna relocate a, a flower in your garden, you go in there with a, a little handheld shovel, you'd dig it out and you'd move. You would not use a bulldozer for that task because a bulldozer is not precise, Right, And in some ways, the religious machinery in this scene is like a bulldozer. You know, like Jesus is their target. He's the one that they want to relocate, but they are going to knock over everybody else in their path. And what makes Jesus angry here is that he sees this young man with the shriveled hand in their path. He's not angry that they're coming for him. He's angry that they're going to roll over this guy at the same time, he's gonna be collateral damage. And that's just the way that the, the powers that be in this world work. They get angry about something, they get upset about something and then they just roll over everybody who's in their way. And in return, that's what makes Jesus angry in Mark 3. He's not angry that these people are coming for him, he's angry that they would roll over this innocent man in the process. That's what we call injustice. Right, this is a wrong. This man does not deserve this. And so Jesus is angry for this man. You know, he knows. Jesus knows his Bible as well as these guys. He knows that he should not heal on the Sabbath day, except that he knows the principle of the Sabbath is to provide relief to those who are tired and weary or hurting. And relief is exactly the thing that he can provide this guy that nobody else can. And isn't that what Sabbath is about? He understands Sabbath even better than those guys do. And so he thinks it would be wrong not to heal this guy on the Sabbath day. I think about Thomas Aquinas who said, thinking about this story, that sometimes it is sinful not to get angry. What do you think about that? Is it good or bad to be mad? What do you think? We're in the midst of this series on the seven deadly sins. And um, We're thinking about each of those sins on this tree that you can imagine the seven deadly sins branching off of. The trunk of that tree is the sin of pride. And the reason that anger has been on this list since since the beginning of the formation of this list, which is really early in the history of the church, and this list is based on a host of like lists in the New Testament. They're usually a little longer, but they're condensed to be easily memorable like you see here. And the reason that anger is on this list is that it is one of those things that is often produced by our pride, what C.S. Lewis called the great sin. Here's what I mean by that. Anger is typically always rooted in an idea of injustice. Injustice. Something's not fair. Something's not right. For instance, here in Mark 3, that's what's motivating Jesus is that this guy does not deserve to be treated unfairly by these religious people just because it's the Sabbath day. That's unfair. But for many of us, we are not angry because somebody else is being treated unfairly. We are angry because we're being treated unfairly. And we have this idea that we should never be treated unfairly because, well, I'm I'm me, right? And I don't deserve that. You know, I just asked my two-year-old and four-year-old. They've already got an idea of this kind of cos- cosmic justice, right? That if their brother gets more gummy bears than them, like, you know, those are fighting words, right? Okay, they know about that. And that's what typically happens for us. I mentioned... Um, My family and I, we were following the the rescue of the boys in the Thailand cave really closely. It was really fascinating to to my boys. It was one of those things, you know, you check your phone multiple times a day to see if they've made any progress on rescuing these boys that were trapped deep in this underground cave that was flooded. Well, one of the stories on the periphery of that rescue was the, the involvement of American billionaire Elon Musk, right? Did you follow this? So Elon Musk is the founder of Tesla and SpaceX. He's, he's genius by all accounts. He's trying to be the first person to send humans to Mars. And so he sends out a tweet about halfway through this rescue and says, I've got a little one-man submarine that I will send to Thailand and they can use to shuttle these boys out through the water. And so me, sitting in my dry home in Memphis, not deep in a wet cave in Thailand, I'm thinking, this is an awesome idea. Let's go with Elon, right? That's what I'm thinking. But one of the divers who's there, one of the four British divers who's going in and out of the cave to the boys and ultimately will rescue them, he says, the submarine won't work. This is a publicity stunt, right? Do you remember what happened next? Yeah, Elon Musk gets onto Twitter and he calls this guy a terrible name, Right? a terrible name on Twitter in front of the whole world. Overnight, Tesla's stock goes down 4%. And so the next day Musk is back on Twitter and what does he say? I'm sorry. He says, I spoke in anger. I spoke in anger. I've spoken in anger too, right? The thing is, you know, Elon Musk did not suffer a real injustice here. It's, it's really hard for a billionaire to ever experience true injustice, right? Right? He did not experience a real sincere injustice. His pride was just hurt. He was just offended. He was called out in front of the whole world. Of course it was a publicity stunt. We all do PR all the time. We don't have to be billionaires to want to do PR. We want people to like us, to look at us, to respect us, to think we're important, to think that we're needed. And somebody calls us out on that. Somebody twists on our pride. Somebody grabs hold of our pride. And what we do often is we speak in anger. You know, when I get most angry is when I have to buy a car. Uh, we had to buy a car recently. We were having this third kid. He's great, by the way. He's great. Deacon. So we had to buy a minivan, and um, I've arrived. I'm, I'm driving a minivan. Truth is, they're awesome, and I don't know why we didn't get one sooner. Right? If you don't have a minivan, you are missing out. Why can't SUVs have sliding doors? You know, like somebody should work on it. Okay, anyway, so we buy a minivan. I walk onto the car lot, and from the moment I am on the lot, I'm mad, right? Because I'm just sure they're trying to take advantage of me. I'm just sure they're going to sell me a lemon. I'm just sure they're going to rip me off, and we get into the, the room to sign all the papers, and I'm like, okay, I know the, the car's listed for this, but, but this is what I'm willing to pay, and he says, oh, no, 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 we, we, we don't negotiate. <laughs> yeah, you do. Uh, no, 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 it's, it's, it's actually company policy here. That's one of the great things about uh, this dealership is that we, we have to post our lowest price online. <laughs> that's not true. He says, yeah, yeah, that's actually the truth. You can, you can speak to my manager. I said, okay. I said, you can give me more on my trade-in though. And he looks out at my car and my car, the paint on the side, it's peeling. And the passenger side window has never rolled down the whole time I've had the car, the whole time I've had it. And he looks out the car, and this was his ex- exact quote. He said, you want more for that? And I said, yeah. And he said, I'll give you 75 bucks more. I took it, and I went out to Lindsay, and I said, oh, I really worked him over in there. I, <laughs> I worked him over. Yeah, I'm so mad when I drive on there to buy a new car. It's the worst. So I've been processing what the Bible says about anger. I've been processing it in light of this sermon. And Rebecca DeYoung, she's got this book, Glittering Vices. We've referred to it a couple times in this series. And the chapter on anger is titled, Anger, Holy Emotion or Hellish Passion? Holy emotion or hellish passion? I've been trying to figure out which it is. Is it holy or hellish? So I took it to my Sunday school class a few weeks ago, Bridge Builders. If you don't like this sermon, you can be angry with them. And I went to him and I asked, I said, which is, is it holy or hellish? And somebody in the class said something that I thought was really true. He said, Eric, he said, usually we get mad about nothing. So we get mad at the wrong people. We get mad because we're offended. And he says, that's a bad reason to be mad. He said, but sometimes we get mad about the right kind of things. We get mad about injustice in the world, like the kind you see on the news or you see in the lives of your friends, you see in, in our city. He says, we get really mad about that. But all we do is, you know, post something on Facebook or tell our friends and that's it. He seems, he said, the first seems wrong. He said, the second seems just as wrong. So let's think through this together for a second. All right, let's think about Mark three and do what we call in school, New Testament ethics. The idea there is, is how do you decide how to behave based on what we read in the Bible? So I started with at least two passages that say, don't be angry, but we have at least one example of Jesus getting angry in Mark three. And so let's ask ourselves, if we're gonna look at that example and assume there might be a time when anger is worthy or even righteous. Okay, what conditions would it need to meet in order to be righteous? So first of all, look at this story. Jesus deals with a lot of people in the New Testament, a lot, and he gets angry one time. So the first principle that we would derive as we're doing New Testament ethics here, the first principle we would derive from that is if you're going to get mad, it should be rare, rare. Jesus deals with a lot of people. He gets mad one time. But the second principle is this, as you look at this, Jesus is not angry. Like I said, because these guys are after him He's angry because these guys are gonna roll over his friends, right? Or his friend in this case, this man with the shriveled hand. I got a call from a Highland mom a few weeks ago. She was really upset. Her daughter had gone back to school and some kids had said some really hurtful, terrible things about her daughter. And she said, Eric, I'm mad. She said, I wanna do something. I don't know what to do, but let me tell you this, mama bear ain't happy. Those were her exact words. I said, I know about mama bear. She lives in my house. Watch out. You know, she lives in my house. She said, mama bear ain't happy and I want to do something. And I think that she is heading in the right direction of the right kind of anger. Because she's not mad because she's personally hurt. She's mad for somebody else. Now, I think what's really commendable about her case is she's trying to process that through with the brother in Christ before she does something about it, because she would admit it's possible she's got some like mom blinders on, so that's possible. But she's not angry for her, she's angry for somebody else. Okay, but then, then look at this story one more time. Because Jesus gets angry one time, it's rare, okay? He gets angry for somebody else, but look at what he does with his anger, right? He's angry at these men who are gonna roll over this guy with the shriveled hand, but he does not respond to those men that he's angry at. He responds by fixing the problem, by healing the man with the shriveled hand. He is mad at, at these guys, and instead of responding to those guys, he heals this guy. You see that? You see that? And that takes us back to what my friend said, right? If we get mad, it should be rare. If we get mad, it should not be for us. It should be for somebody else. But if we get mad, it should produce in us some kind of positive response that is helpful. And if all three of those conditions are met, I can guarantee you your anger is not righteous. I don't know if anger is ever possibly righteous, but if it is not me, those three conditions, I can guarantee you it's not. Let me give you a homework assignment. Nobody's taking notes, I notice, so this is going to be really productive. What if this week you carried around a little pad in your pocket, a little 3x5 card? Maybe you just did this on your phone because you've got your phone with you all the time. What if this week you made a note of every time you got mad? Every time your blood started to boil, just make a note of it. And then later on at the end of the night maybe you go back and you add to that list and you you write down how you responded to your anger. So did you lash out? Did you say something mean? Did you just internalize it, not do anything? Did you hit someone? Did you push? Did you curse? What did you do? Maybe you did something positive. Maybe you gave to some organization. Maybe you volunteered your time somewhere. Okay? Maybe you went to visit somebody in the hospital or something like that. Okay, there's a lot of Potential ways you might respond to that anger. What well, if you just wrote them down? And then at the end of the week, you went to your spouse, you went to your friend, your brother and sister in Christ here, and you, and you laid down that list in front of him and said, tell me, what do you think? Was that righteous or not? Was that righteous or not? Was that one righteous or not? Probably, most of the time, It's not. Let me confess, I need to do this. I need to do it. I've been as angry as you all before, and will be again. I think that's the thing about individuals when we talk about anger, is that we tend to blow it. We get angry about nothing, we lash out at the wrong people, and it never produces anything positive in us. So often that's the case. But I do think that it's possible as we're trying to decide is anger this holy emotion or this hellish passion. I do think it's possible that there is some holy aspect of anger, particularly anger that the body of Christ might share together. You know, there, there are things that we could do as the body of Christ that are not, that we are not capable of as individuals. And I think when we talk about the anger that churches might feel, what comes to mind is, is pictures of Westboro Baptist Church and their signs that says, God hates fill in the blank, right? And that is not the kind of anger I'm talking about. I heard about this church down in Alabama. They learned about all the kids waiting in DCS custody to be placed in foster care or to be adopted in their county. And the list was really long. It's a big church. And they learned about that and they got mad about it. Right? They were incensed that we live in a world where that many kids could be without a home. And so in a few weeks, nearly every person in that church got trained to be a foster parent where they were young or old, got trained to be a foster parent and they eliminated the wait lists in their county overnight. Right? It's hard for me to hear about that kind of anger and say, well, that's bad. That sounds pretty good. You know, what if we got really worked up about something here as the body of Christ here on Houston Levy? Well, I mean, what if we got really worked up about all those kids in Memphis who can't read going into third grade? And we were all tutors down at LaRose or Macon Hall. You think about what kind of difference we can make if we did that. You know, what if we got mad about all the students at Hope Works who come out of incarceration and have no place to live because they can't find a house because they have a criminal record? What if we got really mad about that and we built them a facility like that? I mean, that's something this church could do, right? We could do that seemingly overnight. We could give enough to do that, right? What if we got mad and we did that? You know, what if we got mad about all the people in Memphis Tennessee, who do not know Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior, all the lost souls in this city, what if we got mad about that and we actually, we did something about it, right? There are things to get mad about, right? There are things to get mad about. And too often, if you look at our own lives, what we get mad about as individuals just doesn't make the cut, frankly, right? It is not worth getting mad about, but it is absolutely possible that this church could be inspired by a righteous indignation that makes a difference in this city like this city has never seen before. Let me tell you a secret. There's some people here who are fired up. You could join them. You could. Let's pray. Holy God, we know that you are infinite and just and loving and good. And we also know that things that happen on this world move you to sorrow and even anger. God, we pray that we would be a people who are weary of that kind of injustice around us and who are weary, though, at the same time of that anger in our own hearts that is motivated by our own pride, but that we would be tuned in to your righteous anger and that we might make a difference in your righteous and holy name. And we pray all this in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen. Let's stand and sing. Come, you sinners, poor and needy, bruised and broken.